This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Check out their spring collection. Go to LinkSoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to NestBedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, goal! Oh, hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Yeah, well... The show open might say Ace Cast Live with Chris Townsend, but he's on a beach somewhere in Hawaii right now on a much-deserved vacation for Uncle Townie. Alex Jensen, Cody Elias with you here for the next hour ahead of A's and Brewers from American Family Field as Ace Cast Live on the road in the NL Central continues. Alex, you and I both were in Pittsburgh for the series against the Pirates. Great for me to go back home. I'm not going to gloat about that. Tony, let me do that all of the last week. But now we're in Milwaukee at America. Well, why don't we make that the whole show? Let's just make it the whole show. Cody tells us how great Pittsburgh is. Well, it, it was great. Uh, for If you're an Ace fan, it was great. Ace take two or three against the then first place Pittsburgh Pirates. Now not in first place anymore. And they're now game behind the Milwaukee Brewers in the division. Uh, we're going to have Eno Saris coming up at 310. He's going to be live from Oracle Park ahead of the Giants series. I forget who they're playing this weekend. I should have. That's bad. That's bad hosting on my part and seeing who the Giants were playing. And we're going to have Jeff Levering, the, uh, one of the voices of the Milwaukee Brewers at 345. But Alex, it's been a while since you and I have done Ace Cast Live. It's good to have you back. It's great to be back, Commander. Uh, it's, it's good to see you. And by the way, the Giants are hosting the, the Cubs. Big series. And, uh, there you go. And uh, we've got an exciting uh, weekend of baseball here. The A's are starting to play better, as, as you just mentioned. It was great to have you in Pittsburgh. Like I said, I'm just happy to be along for the ride. And, you know, as you mentioned, Townie getting the, the much-deserved time off. And, you know, we all know how hard Townie works, and we enjoy his work. But, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here, man. Let's talk some ball. Yeah, Townie will be back next – I believe next Friday when we do Ace Cats Live from the Treehouse. He's going to be doing TV. He's been getting a lot of TV time, which is good for him. Big I TV mean, guy. Yeah, I mean he, he's. I mean he's got a face. He used to have a face for radio, but now he has a face for television. Not the face like you are, as we say. You're the face of the Stockton Ports, but the A's in Pittsburgh won two of three. Twenty runs scored, thirty-two hits. I got a stat for you. I don't want to steal from Tony, but I got a stat for you. A's are two and zero, and Ryan Nota hits lead off. I'm just throwing that out there. Maybe you want to maybe lead him off a little more. Not leading off today. Uh, SD back leading off against his former team, the SC Ruiz Revenge Series in Milwaukee. Uh, what did you see from the uh, from the, the young A's in Pittsburgh uh, the first three games in, starting Monday in PNC Park? They swung it. 
They really swung it. And they, you know, I mean, they had a great plan against Mitch Keller, who I know he's been struggling recently, but, you know, coming into that game, you're thinking, oh boy, here we go. Lost five in a row. Now you're, you're going up against, you know, a guy who's legitimately cemented himself as, you know, the Pirates ace. And that time the Pirates were in first place, but they had a great plan that day. You know, Ruiz hit lead off that day, but, you know, it started in the first inning with a one-out walk drawn by Ryan Noda. Um, and, you know, I just I, – they carried that plan over. And honestly, Commander, I felt like the A's swung the bats pretty well for the most part in Miami. I mean, they went up against a really tough trio of, uh, of right-handers down there, and I, I really think the Marlins have a chance. I mean, I was impressed by them during that three-game set. And, if you know, if, if that young pitching kind of figures it out – and can become a little bit more consistent. I think they've really got a chance, but yeah, they swung it, man. I mean, they, we're talking about a team that's raised its batting average over the last two days, uh, four points, uh, which is tough to do, or no, more than that, seven points from 218 going into the game, into game two in Pittsburgh to, you know, 225 coming into play today. Uh, you know, I see 32 hits, 20 runs over the last two games. This team swung it. And I think you're onto something with Ryan Noda hitting leadoff. Well, the the other stat I had too, and I mean this is selfish. I mean, you and I got to have a few adult beverages uh, after the game Monday, and then I went to the uh, hotel bar on the next night. And I just want to say, when uh, when I was on the road with the team and visited the uh, hotel team bar, the A's were two and zero after those games. <laughs> Not saying I need to be on every road trip, but you know maybe we're on to something there. Baseball players are very superstitious, but yeah, Noda. He was on base four times. His OPS is 888. He now leads the American League in on base percentage at 415. He has 42 walks on the year. I did the math. He's on pace for 106 walks, which means he would have the he would have the first 100 walk season by an Oakland A since Derek Barton. Derek Barton in 2010, when Derek Barton had 110, the last guy to do it was Derek Barton in 2010. Jack Cust had 111 in 2008. We all know how Jack Cust was a three true outcome guy. Ryan Nota, not so much. I, I did the little parallel of Ryan Nota. I think maybe it's a little naive, but. He kind of reminds me a little bit without the power, but he reminds me a little bit of Joey Votto, his eye at the plate, his ability to go on base. He went to University of Cincinnati. Votto plays in Cincinnati. I know that's a really bad correlation, but I kind of I'm really liking what I see out of Noda. He's top five in OPS plus in Major League Baseball, not just the American League at 157. So you know, league average is 100. He's at 157, and he's top five in rated runs created plus at 158. Those are pretty big numbers, and a good uh, good start of a nice young career for Ryan Noda as a Rule Five guy that he's got from the Dodgers. Yeah, and you know, Cody, I mean, it's it's not just that he's seeing a lot of pitches and walking a lot. He's got some juice, too. You know, seven home runs, as you mentioned, his, his OPS is 888. His slugging is just over 470. You're talking about seven home runs, 13 doubles, a triple. I mean, he's he's really kind of done it all. And, and when you talk about, like, you know, you mentioned the A's being 2-0 with, with Ryan Noda in the leadoff spot. For me, I, what I've kind of come around to, and I was a traditionalist, you know, you want speed. You want a guy like Estee Ruiz in the leadoff spot. And I'm not saying you don't want a guy like Estee, like Estee in the leadoff spot. He's He's been really solid for the A's so far this season. But if I were to ask you who you want potentially getting more at-bats in any given game, is there anybody in this lineup that you would want to get more at-bats than Ryan Noda? And he gets on base. He's a, you know, Townie's talked about it. He's a great athlete. He can run a little bit. Now he's not going to be your prototypical traditional quote-unquote uh, you know, leadoff guy who once he gets on first base like Ricky, it's potentially a double like Estiuri Ruiz. But the only difference there, if you were to hit, let's just say Ruiz ninth and Noda leadoff, the only difference there is that 
Noda's coming up one more time. But by the time you get to Ruiz, it's just like you're starting your lineup all over again. So I don't know. I think there's something to that. I mean, like you said, Estes hitting uh, lead off tonight. I think he's earned the right um, to to you know get get his opportunity in the leadoff spot because he's been one of this club's best players so far this season. But what Ryan Noda do, is doing is really opening eyes, man. I mean, it really is. He's he's getting he's establishing himself as as a legitimate big league regular. I think. And right now, you can't take him off first base. You just can't. But remember the play he made in the series finale? Did you get a chance to see that? Yeah. The line? Yeah. Unbelievable. Like, he's the guy right now, he's doing it all. And, you, I mean, you hope it keeps up for a Rule 5 guy. Mark Kotze talked about this uh, after the game the other night. It can be a little tough to establish yourself. He's done that, man. I mean, he's there's, there's no way you can take him off first base right now. And there's no way you can take him out of the top two spots in the lineup. Yeah, and the, the last time the A's had a Rule 5 guy that uh, came over who was a first baseman, uh, he had a nice little career with the A's in Marcana. So the A's have done a nice job evaluating and finding talent in the Rule 5 draft. And we know Noda had a lot of power playing in uh, Oklahoma City, right? That's the that's the Dodgers AAA system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had some power, but now we're seeing him get on base at a very high clip. And what he's been able to do, I agree with you. We talked about it yesterday, you and I, about having Noda lead off and having Ruiz maybe bat ninth because you want him to get that extra bat because he works the count and he makes pitchers work where guys aren't pitching deep into games, as we've seen with everyone, with all the injuries that have gone up now. Chris Sale is now going to be out until like August. And uh, we already saw with Strasburg and Jacob DeGrom, which we'll get into with Eno Saris and after with what's happening with Jacob DeGrom. But, yeah, you have to have Noda in the lineup every day. And he could be the first A's player to lead the American League in on base percentage. I know it's June 9th. Since uh, Ricky Henderson did it in 1990 and McGuire did it in 96 and Jason Giambi did it in 2000 when he uh, also walked 137 times that year. So it's been a nice, nice start to the year for Ryan Noda for sure. I'll, t- I'll tell you what was interesting, Cody. And, you know, obviously people have talked a lot about Soders from what's his future with the, with the club going to be, where's he going to play? Is it going to be catcher? Is it going to be first? Could it be the outfield? When Ramon Laureano was not available a couple days ago, they put Ryan Noda in right field. So he's been fantastic at first base, but, you know, maybe just a little bit of, of, positional versatility there as well because like we said you, you can't take his back i love that comp the joey the joey Votto light because he's like you said he's got some juice the home run he hit in pittsburgh uh a couple of days ago right down the line the other way that's some pretty impressive power and yep. just you know the athletic so the a's got i mean the a's really found something and ryan Noda would appear two months into the season right in the rule five draft i mean it, pardon the pun but for right now that pick seems like a home run uh, uh, well done. And yes, in a season that's been kind of disappointing at 14 and 50, but they've been playing well the last two days. Ryan Noda has been just like SC Ruiz. I know Ruiz has only been hitting 191 over his last 10 games, but they've been uh, they've been really nice finds for the A so far. But you know, enough of us. Our next guest is here, Eno Saris of the Athletic, but he has a special open. Let, let's let's get the man is open so we can so we can satisfy everyone. The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. You know, I see you at Oracle Park. We and Alex and I were just in Pittsburgh at PNC Park, and there's a lot of nice local breweries there, Southern Tier, Hitchhiker, Penn Brewing. Do you have a favorite place in Pittsburgh? What's that? Do you have a favorite place in Pittsburgh you like to drink, a brewery you like? I like some Dancing Gnome. Did you check out Dancing Gnome? I did not. No, I was just looking, checking out the places that were in the bars that we frequented while we were there. But um, if you're recommending it, I will make sure I go back the next time I'm there. I hear it's a beautiful park. 
Uh, that ballpark, I, I'm biased because I grew up there. It's gorgeous. It's it. It could be the best ballpark, but I'm biased because I live. I grew up there. So. <laughs> hey, you know, we were, we were just talking about uh, Ryan Noda and what what he's done for the A's so far this year, and I I know he's Townie's guy, so I apologize if uh, if he's already if he's already broached the subject with you now, but, but leading the American league in, in on base percentage. Now he's got 40, was it 42, 42 walks. Uh, it, it really seems to be kind of like an all around player. Joey, uh, rather Cody, Cody brought up the, the Joey Votto comp, Joey Votto light, perhaps uh, just a couple of minutes ago. What's been your, uh, your take on, on, uh, on the A's first baseman. I love him. I, I love the, the, eye. Uh, you know, guys with, with elite plate discipline are always guys that I really enjoy. Um, you know, it may not always end up being a great batting average because he does have some swing and miss in his game, but, um, you know, this is the, uh, the kind of guy that I feel like they're always looking for, you know, they're always looking to pick up. They've tried it with like Kyla Kailui and like, you know, there's been other guys, <laughs> that have come through that have elite discipline, but don't add that power aspect. And I think Noda uh, is one of those hits where, you know, he is a guy that combines the discipline with the power. He's going to strike out some, but he's going to be uh, a useful part for this team as it gets better. If, if you're riding the lineup, you know, where are you putting him? I'm putting him like two, I think. I feel like you got to take advantage of that on base percentage. And then, you know, if he's going to hit a homer, you'd rather Ruiz. I mean, you'd rather Ruiz is on base for that. So uh, two or three. I mean, he, that's the kind of uh, bat that he's got. That's a good point. I, I didn't think about having somebody on base for a guy that's got that kind of juice, that that kind of uh, that kind of I mean, you put him at the top of the lineup, right? Or in one of those two spots. It's, it's not just his production, but the amount of pitch it, pitches that he's seeing uh, per at bat is going to benefit the rest of the lineup. We were talking on uh, my show, the, um, the 3-0 show over at The Athletic, about, um, you know, how teams are built. And uh, teams, you can build teams in all sorts of different ways, through the draft, through free agency, through trades. And we know this about the A's. They're almost always built through trades. So right now, they're the, in terms of the number of people on their roster, they are tied with the Brewers and Rays as you know, having 15 guys that they acquired through trade. So wow. uh, that's that's year in and year out, though, right? That's the A's. They, they trade, they trade, they trade. And, you know, the other aspect that they do is, is they're pretty good at waivers. And you, even Farhan comes over to this side and, and he works for the Giants and he's uh, still a waiver wire king. So, you know, uh, those are the two aspects of the A's are still kind of a, 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 a team that's out in front. I know they don't win every single trade. Obviously, there are trades that if you make as many trades as they do, there's trades you lose. But, you know, they are good at identifying talent on other people's teams, uh, especially talent that's close to the big leagues that maybe scouts don't love, uh, but that their numbers love. And, and, you know, that's how I see, you know, Ruiz is actually fits that bill perfectly. And, you know, and other guys that they've come and, and, and gotten in trades have, have been very similar. Hey, as a numbers guy, you know, the, the, the average exit velocity, we were just in Miami, obviously, getting a chance to see Luis arise. And, you know, Ruiz and Arise kind of have the – that one thing in common, right? The average exit velocity isn't ideal. What do you make of the season that Luisa Rise is having right now? Is it kind of bucking any trends against, you know, what the numbers may say or I mean, what's your take on it? It's, he's been incredible. Yeah, it is interesting. There's nothing harder to project when it comes to numbers than the single. 
the single is the hardest thing to project. You can you can look at a guy's exit velocity, his barrel rates. You can say, oh, doubles, homers, I got this. But the single is chaos. If you think about balls bouncing around, hitting bags, <laughs> you know, bouncing off gloves, you know, that's those are singles, and you can't project those. And so a rise, you know, what you can project is the guy makes a ton of contact every year. Yeah. And I and I wonder if uh, Ruiz, you know, sometimes gets stuck in between. He, he's been a lot of different players over the course of his career. Uh, he came in with a guy that was like had good power. And, you know, then he tried to make more contact, he tried to have more plate discipline. And, you know, uh, sometimes I wonder <clears throat> if he won't benefit from watching Ruiz a little bit. Because I think the best way that Ruiz can take advantage of his skill set is probably to make more contact and put more balls in play. Because we've seen him go, you know, score from first on a single and stuff like that. So, you mm -hmm. know, he's that that type of velo. He needs to just maximize the number of balls in play. And that's a rise's uh, that's a rise's genius. It's you know, right now all those balls are finding grass. That may not happen all year. It may slow down. He has like a four hundred BABIP. You know, there's very few people who've had a four hundred batting average on balls in play for a whole season. But he does have like the lowest strikeout rate in baseball. So he's just putting a lot of lottery tickets out there. So, you know, if you can't predict the single, why don't you just put a lot of lottery tickets out there and you're going to start winning, you know? So I, that's what I would say for Ruiz is, is to focus on making contact uh, maybe above all else and, and see how that takes his game. Now, you know, tonight the A's are using the opener and this is now the, I forget how many times they've used it. Austin Pruitt's done it a few times. Fuji's done it. Now we're seeing Sam Maul do it. Do you think the openers are still an effective strategy? I was always a fan of it, still am a fan of it. But as someone as a numbers guy like you, do you still think it's an effective strategy in 2023? Uh, who's who's the bulk guy? Uh, Luis Medina. So it's two righties in a row, huh? Uh, lefty than a righty. Lefty and a righty. Oh, you're doing a lefty. Mall. Okay. Yeah, Mall's Sam Mall. Yeah, yeah. Mall's yeah, opening, okay. yeah. I like it that way because what you can do is, first of all, you're giving them two different looks right off the bat. So, you know, one thing that, that we've seen in the numbers is that baseball players get better against pitchers the more they see them. And that's the third time through the order thing. But it also means, let's say you had two guys up there, two righties in a row that both throw hard, both throw fastball slider. You know, in some ways, you're not really maximizing the, the benefit of the opener. But you throw a lefty out there and then a righty or a soft tosser and then a velo guy or a velo guy and a soft tosser, what you're doing is you're putting the hitters on their back of their heels. And they, they're just, they, you know, they're like, oh, man, I'm seeing a reliever in the first. You know, like and now I'm going to see another reliever, like a quote-unquote reliever in the second. I'm seeing a new arm in the second with new shapes. And then the other thing that it does is you're taking a reliever that you think is pretty good, that you might use in a win, right? And you're taking them and you're using them against the middle of the order. And then you're taking a pitcher – who you kind of want to coax through some innings, right? And you're giving them a real soft landing. What you're saying is, hey, why don't you start the game with the five hitter? You know, why don't you start the game with the five hitter, get on a roll, you know, get through some innings, uh, and then we'll see what happens in the fourth and fifth and sixth. And it's the best way to, if you have a pitcher you think can only get through the lineup twice, it's the best way to do it. You start with an opener, that, that gets through the top of the lineup once, the next guy gets through the lineup two and a half times, and then pieces back out again when one through four comes back up and then you can bring in if you're winning you bring in velo you bring in a different arm you bring in a different look uh so it's a, basically a bullpen game but it's um it's with a bulk guy in the middle you know we were uh we were discussing your your latest piece on the athletic you know pitching injuries increased strikeouts obviously hitters are chasing slugging percentage which means more balls in the air i thought you know the perspective about the uh guys talking about their uppercuts 
uh, and tr actually trying to cut down on uppercut swings, right? So it doesn't become too exaggerated. But it kind of seems like all of those things are intertwined, right? And obviously, uh, you know, with strikeouts, you're going to get more injuries because guys are chasing velo. Uh, but also, you know, uh, hitters chasing slugging percentage will lead to more strike. Can you elaborate on that piece and exactly how all that, all those different things are are connected? Yeah, one of the things that was interesting to me is I think there's um, an idea that an uppercut swing is is rampant throughout baseball. And and so, you know, I was talking to players and, and any player that has like, you know, a 45, 50 percent fly ball rate, they usually have an uppercut. But there's not that many of them in baseball. And so I went out to start the beginning of the story started last year, you know, hmm. and I thought I'd talk to Kyle Schwarber and I thought I'd talk to Lamont Wade. and I thought I'd talk to Christian Walker. And every time I talked to a guy who had a 50% fly ball rate or who had an uppercut swing, they told me, yeah, I don't like it when it gets up there. I want to flatten it out because I can't hit the high fastball. And in order to be in the league today, you need to hit the high fastball. There's a local story angle to this. J.J. Blade had a hole up in his swing. He has a big kind of loopy swing. He has that Cody Bellinger kind mm. of swing, you know. And, um, you know, what he worked on in the minors, he said, was just finding a way to put wood on the ball up in the zone. Sometimes it doesn't look good. I honestly, you know, sometimes his, his, his kind of B swing or his high fastball swing, you know, it, it produces a ground ball. It doesn't look great. But you know what? It puts a ball in play. And if he can string together some singles, the pitcher feels like maybe I need to go down there and try to go down in the zone again. And then he can hit homers. So it's, it's all a sort of cat and mouse game. But when I talk to players that, that had uh, – you know, uppercuts and they said they didn't really like it. I was like, a light bulb went out. I don't think it's an uppercut swing that's killing baseball. You know, what it is instead is power lives out in front of the plate and pitchers are throwing 94. This is the first year in the history of baseball that pitchers are averaging over 94 in the fastball. So you combine the, you know, velo going up and up and up and hitters realizing that power lives out in front of the plate and you got, you got a bit of a problem there. So that's, I think that's the source of uh of the issue really more than like an uppercut swing it's it's you know maybe it's semantics but i don't know that's it's different it's different it's not like everybody's out there golfing you know that's not exactly what's happening in baseball your colleague andy mccullough did a piece on jacob Degrom, and he kind of compared the career of Degrom versus uh tim lincecum and i thought it was interesting because i went back and looked up their first five years and they're very similar lincecum made more starts but he also debuted when he was much younger Degrom debuted at 26 lincecum at 23 but it was interesting because Lincecum won two Cy Youngs, DeGrom won the one, then he won a second in his sixth year. Do you think that's a fair comparison between those two guys? I know Lincecum kind of just, I don't know if it was dead arm, but he kind of just fell off where DeGrom's been getting hurt. Do you think DeGrom has any chance to regain uh, getting back to where he was after the Tommy John surgery he's going to have? It's a, it's a short list of pitchers who've had Tommy John twice um, and come back. And so, you know, the, the, the stakes are higher. The risk is higher. Uh, he may not come back. Uh, also, will he come back throwing 99 with a 94 mile an hour slider? These are these are the kind of questions that uh, you know his camp is undergoing right now, and I, you know I feel really badly for him. Um, but you know, in both cases, there's an aspect of the way they pitched that may have led to this uh, shortness of career. Um, if you look at uh, direct stress on the elbow, and we can do this now, we can put um, we can put elbow like modus sleeves on people, and we can directly measure the stress on the elbow. Uh, if you do that, uh, two things emerge: one, velo is the biggest stress on elbow. 
So you got a guy who's going from, uh, you know, sitting 95 to sitting 99 when he turned 30. You know, it's like, why? What, this is everybody else's velo goes down and DeGrom's keeps going up. That was weird. Uh, the other thing that shows up is that the closer you pitch to your personal maximum, the more stress you put on. So if I throw 96 and you throw 96, but I can throw 100 and you can only throw 98, you're putting more stress on your arm. Uh, and the last thing is that breaking balls had a little bit less stress on the elbow, but if you adjusted for velo, they have more stress. So it's possible that DeGrom's 93 mile an hour slider is the most stressful pitch in the game because nobody else is really, there's not that many other people throwing 93 mile an hour sliders. Um, and so though that's, he put a lot of stress on that elbow over time with the way he pitched. Lincecum was a little bit different, but that long jump that he made, uh, that, that, that long stride that he had, I do think that that had, uh, some, made some issues for his hip. Um, and you know, ultimately some of the injuries that I think, uh, you know, led to, you know, the shortness of the career. Uh, so I think in both cases, I'm not, you know, a mechanics guru that, thinks that, you know, the inverted W or this or that, or this all leads to injury. But, you know, there's some research behind, you know, some aspects of the way they pitched leading to their short careers. That is great stuff. Eno, thank you so much for the time as always. Play that man, his sponsor. The Eno Cyrus <laughs> Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Eno, right, thanks, man. Thanks, Eno. Yeah. The great Eno Saris. This is Chris Towns, and there are two things that are a must for me, comfort and style. Whether I'm playing golf, going to dinner, I've got to have the right feel. That's why I've partnered with Link Soul, and you're going to love Link Soul. They have just released their new spring line, new fabrics for their polos, lightweight and perfect for technical performance. Link Soul also has new styles for their layers and hoodies with cool prints and seasonal colors. You know what they say in the big leagues, look good, play good. Go to LinkSoul.com. That's LinkSoul.com. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Where is Chris Townsend? Uh, I don't know what I don't know what island he's at. I don't know if he's in Maui or I don't, I've never been to Hawaii. You, think, you've been there. You've called basketball games there. I have uh, only only in Honolulu. In fact, quick story: we were talking about this at uh, at dinner last night, but I, I was supposed to go to Maui with the Gales. That's right. Right. For the, for the Maui Invitational in 2021. And they had moved it to Myrtle Beach the year before. So I'm thinking, great. You know, I mean, good thing we weren't going in 2020 because like a few have to apply like six years ahead of time. And there's like a five year lead up to, you know, you're, you're in the tournament for five years beforehand. You're looking forward to it. Right. Two months before the tournament starts, Commander, they move it to Vegas because of COVID. Two months. So, so you went to Hawaii Myrtle- has been ripped for me a couple times now. So wait, you got to? Did you go to Myrtle Beach or no? Oh, it was, no, wait, it, was, it was in Vegas. It was in Vegas when St. Mary's was in the was in the Maui, the Maui in Vegas. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, because I've been to I've never been to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, but it's a big that's a big uh, I guess holiday and vacation destination for people from the East Coast. But yeah, maybe you'll get to Maui someday. The Gales are always going to have a good program under Randy Bennett, and you're always going to be the voice of the Gales. I mean. Fingers crossed. I mean, unless you move on to call Duke games or something. <laughs> well, here, here's uh, we were supposed to be going to Hawaii this this Christmas, but 
Gales are no longer in the in the Diamond Head Classic in Honolulu. They'll be playing in, you guessed it, Vegas instead. <laughs> well, I mean, it's at least hey, it's a you get to go on a trip, so that's all that matters, right? I mean, yeah, that's true. That's it's better. True. It's better than but calling a game. Give and- me Hawaii over anything else. That's all I'm saying. It's been taken from me now twice, three times actually. Well, would you rather so. go there or call a game at, in Portland? Actually, Portland's I not actually bad. Like Portland. Yeah, Portland's, yeah, Portland's a, that's bad. a bad example. Portland's not bad. Uh, I'd rather call a game right here in Oakland. That's that's what I'd rather do. Yeah, I'd say um, I was almost gonna say Pepperdine, but that's also a destination to go to in Malibu as well. <laughs> so never mind. That's a bad example of the WCC also. Exactly. Hey, so one thing we didn't really get to touch on with with Eno Commander was, I mean, eight and a half starters per team as of Monday, like all these pitching, the pitching injuries, you know, we, we really didn't touch on that a whole lot. We talked about DeGrom and, and Lincecum, but it's out of control this year. Yeah. I mean, we saw Strasburg with the nerve damage in his, in his arm and he already had the thoracic outlet syndrome for the carpal tunnel and, and, and all that. I mean, that's, that's kind of sad. I mean, cause on this date in 2009, Strasburg was drafted number one overall out of San Diego state uh, to the nationals. I remember his debut was electric against the, the then horrible Pittsburgh Pirates. He, I think he struck up 14 batters in his debut. It was it, it was awesome. And then he never really did. I mean, he had a couple 200 inning years, and then you know they babied him a little bit in 2012. Remember they made the postseason, and then they told him, yep. "Hey, we're not going to use you because we want to preserve your career." I mean, how'd that work out for you? Uh, well, no, go ahead. I'll, I'll say this. I'll, I'll say this. What they did get out of him in 2019 was a 200 inning season, 18 wins, which led the league and a world series MVP. So if that's the price you're paying for that payoff, for him to be that dominant, get you a world series. Is it worth it? Because I think it is. Well, so since he signed that the two have any attachment to each other, no, if you were going to pay that price for a world series and for him to be that good in the world series, I think it's a worthwhile price to pay. Yeah, no, he was great in 2019, and then since then, he signed that seven-year, $245 million deal. Same deal as Rendon. He's made eight starts, and he's pitched in 31 in the third. Uh, his last, the last game he's pitched in was on June 22nd of 20, yeah. or was June of 2022. I don't know the exact date, but he, he went four and two-thirds against the Marlins. And now we know he's going to be out for a while there with a, the nerve damage. They, there's talks that he might never pitch again, which is sad to hear because he's, he, I mean, he, I think he's the same age as me. I think we're both 30. He might be 30, 34. If not, he's 33. Now the other one's DeGrom, who is 34. And now, you know, he signs a huge deal with the Rangers. And the Rangers are great right now, even without him, which is, you know, a great story what the Rangers are doing in the AL West. But he's on. He's going to be out for the year. He's going to be out with Tommy John surgery They're at the UCL injury. I mean, since 2019, the year he won a second Cy Young, he's made 44 starts and pitched in 254 and two-thirds. He was a guy that was on a Hall of Fame trajectory. I think we can all agree to that. So was Tim Lincecum his first couple years. Lincecum looked like he was going to be a Hall of Famer, the two Cy Youngs, the multiple World Series, all the strikeouts. But then he kind of just fell off a cliff. At least the Grom stayed consistent. Then he just the injuries have just kept piling up year after year. Uh, I'll ask you, do you think the Grom has any chance of making the Hall of Fame? He has a chance. I mean, two Cy Young speaks volumes, right? But if you're to compare his career to Tim Lincecum, you know, I think you, you probably have to give the edge to Linscombe, uh, based on his team success. Uh, you know, the, the, the two Cy Youngs, again, for both guys speak for themselves. But, you know, to be honest with you, neither of them, I don't think right now is worthy of the Hall of Fame. I mean, part of being in the Hall of Fame, with the exception, we talked about this last night, right, with the ex- exception of, uh, of Sandy Koufax, is longevity. Being dominant for a long period of time. 
and neither guy was able to do that. And I fear, uh, Commander, that where we're getting to with with pitching in general, we're just going to see more and more and more cases like this because, you know, guys are throwing as hard as they can on every pitch, and the human body just isn't built to sustain that. We're seeing that start to kind of bear out. Yeah, and you're right because you look at Lincecum and his career; he had a 19 and a half WAR, which isn't very high. Degrom's at like 40. Let me just—I yeah. have it open. He's at 40. Was I think 44, 44.6. 44.6. Yeah, and I think 60 is like the lowest part of the threshold that we look at for WAR, and 70 are like a lock to get in. Like that's where Granky's at right now. And I think I've been saying forever. I think Granky's a Hall of Famer. Talney's now come around on it. I think you and I agree that Granky's a Hall of Famer. He's done enough. If DeGrom could come back at 36, 37 and have a couple dominant years, but he's going to have to be like an eight-plus war guy just to get anywhere near 60 or more. Uh, I don't know. As Eno Saris told us, two Tommy John surgeries, not many guys come back from that. I mean, Verlander came back from it, but he was only his first, I believe, right? Verlander ever had one. Yeah. And he came back, and he's still throwing hard, but he's not even doing that well for the Mets, and the Mets gave him all that money, and they're th- they're three games under 500 and like eight games back in the, in the NL East, so – we were all expecting Verlander to be the last guy to come anywhere close to 300 wins. Now we're looking at guys that can get maybe the 200 wins to, I mean, almost 180. Cause I mean, it's just the way the game's evaluated now. Well, you know what? I think, you know, Eno talked about the cat and mouse game too. And I think there's a pendulum that's going to swing back the other way. At some point, we're going to see more guys, at least more guys that, that stay in the big leagues for a long time, sinker ballers, guys that throw 94. The, the, the biggest difference between a guy like Verlander and Scherzer versus a guy like DeGrom, is DeGrom is throwing as hard as he can on every single pitch. Eno talked about Tim Lincecum's, uh, the wear and tear on Tim Lincecum's body due to his mechanics. But you remember with Verlander early in his career that he would go 94 early in the game, a nice easy 94 for him, and when he needed it, he would reach back and get 98, 99. So it's just we're, we're going to have to adjust to not – having guys throw as hard as they can every single pitch because they're going to break down. And that's the only reason, in my opinion, that Verlander and Scherzer, guys like that, have not broken down. I mean, some guys are just freaks that can that can do it. But I'm, I, I'll never forget that outing in, in the All-Star game for Verlander where he was like, okay, one inning, I'll just let it eat. He was like 100, 99, 100, 101. He was never like that in any of his starts. Yeah, and it's funny because I'm not working with another – college pitcher uh you know you pitching at at St. Mary's and just thinking about what what Verlander's been like and how these guys I mean that's like that's Verlander's like the perfect uh case for young pitchers like a Luis Medina I talked with Tony about this a couple weeks ago we talked about it on on the show is maybe like making Verlander the model for young starting pitchers like Medina who throw in the upper 90s to be a guy that throws 94, 95, and then push it up to 100, 98 to 100 if you can later in the game where you're you're already – you saved all that energy for then. DeGrom never learned that. DeGrom was going 99 to 100 every pitch and then throwing the slider. Every out, time. And the break on his elbow with the slider. Now, I wasn't a pitcher. I was a horrible power hitter in high school, so I know nothing about pitching when it comes to that aspect with arm injuries. But DeGrom needed to learn – that's something that he should have been taught a long time. If you look at all those young pitchers the Mets had – with him and Harvey and Syndergaard, none of them have done anything since then. And it's a shame because they they had so much potential, but DeGrom had a chance to be a Hall of Famer, and it's a shame we might never see him be the same again. Somebody put a, a picture of those five guys. It was like a promotional picture. They're all holding a baseball like this. Did you see that? I think it was yeah. like out of the league, uh, 488 bullpen, you know, ERA coming out of the bullpen, 
Tommy John. Like it was, it, it was crazy. And Syndergaard, but that was that was they were supposed to be the future of baseball. Yeah, and Syndergaard's now on the injured list again for a. I think I forget what they said his injury was, but it's more of like a reset is what they're calling because he's been so and he's he's been struggling yeah, for the Dodgers. He's been ineffective. And Steven right. Matz is the bullpen guy you're you were mentioned referring to with the Cardinals. You know, obviously Harvey's out of the league, so there's the guys right there. Oh, and the other guy, Zach Wheeler, who Wheeler's been pretty good, but yeah. um, but that I mean, other than that, all those other guys have struggled. You know, and, and the Grom has struggled to stay healthy. Well, and, and you talk about you know the prototypical build for a starting pitcher, big. You know, a big guy's going to avoid injuries. Not if you're throwing as hard as you can every single. And Syndergaard's a monster. You know, Degrom's a big guy. So I really, it you know, the the science is coming along. So. Um, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but I really do think the pendulum is going to swing back to us seeing, you know, more and more guys who are, you know, shoe-ins for the Hall of Fame or, or at least better bets for the Hall of Fame, like Zach Greinke, you know, like guys who who put less stress on their arm because of their longevity. Yeah, hopefully we go back to that. Now, I'm a sucker for the velo and the strikeouts. I think a lot of us are because that's the way the game is now transitioned into from the era of Greg Maddox and the guy in pitchers like that to where now you want the guys to throw 98 to 100 to 104 like Ben Joyce does with the with the uh, Los Angeles Angels. Mm-hmm. I hope we go back to guys that don't throw that hard and we're not having so many Tommy John surgeries. But going into Monday, we talked about this with uh, but Jason Stark's article. Every team's been using like around eight and a half starters per team so far this year. And that was going into Monday. So I don't know how much that's changed since Monday because we're now at Friday, but that number is going to keep going up and, and we're going to keep seeing more starting pitchers used by every team because that's so many guys just keep going down with injury. Look at a guy like, I mean, I know we don't like to talk giants on this program and I don't like to talk giants period, to be honest with you, commander, but look at a guy like, look at a guy like Logan Webb, right? I mean, you know, he's been very effective, 92, 93 movement, deception. I mean, and let's be honest, it makes for a more digestible product. Yeah, no, I agree. And you look at a lot of their guys, too. I mean, Di Scalfani, um, uh, Alex Cobbs had a nice year. I mean, they're, all those guys, none of those guys really throw that hard. So maybe, I don't want to say they're a throwback to it, but um, it's nice seeing some teams not, you know, prioritizing velocity. And they're looking for guys that they can get outs and trust their defense behind them because that's essentially what the guys are there for. If we wanted all strikeouts, then we wouldn't have defense playing behind. If we had a guy that could strike everybody out, what's the point of having eight other guys on the field? You know who's had a lot of injuries to their starting rotation this season? Uh, the Brewers, the Milwaukee Brewers, they've had, they have gone through a laundry list of starters. Brandon Woodruff is out until after the all-star break. Corbin Burns has been, you know, hit and miss. Um, Andy, uh, Andy Ashby. Is it Andy Ashby? Why, why is Andy Ashby in uh, my mind? It, uh, it is an Ashby. It's Aaron Ashby. Aaron Ashby. I knew it was an A. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a double A in this case. Yeah. Aaron Ashby. Uh, you know, Wade Miley has been out. He's not a velo guy, but anyway, we got a chance to catch up with uh, with Brewers broadcaster Jeff Levering. This will also play on the pregame show, but Jeff Levering joined us for uh, for a, a good 15 minutes or so. Here's what he has to say about the whole situation. Welcome back to A's Cast Live. We're joined by Jeff Levering, uh, Brewers broadcaster. Jeff, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for your hospitality here at beautiful American Family Field. Yeah, my pleasure. Welcome to town. Probably your first trip to Milwaukee is what I'm guessing, right, Alex? That is that is correct. That's but it's beautiful ballpark, beautiful city. Um, so I, I got to start here, Jeff. How how long before we can expect the broadcasters to start rocking mullets? What's it going to take? Uh, well, rocking mullets for the broadcast crew. I think you'd have an easier time getting the radio guys to do that. Um, <laughs> TV guys might be a little tougher. 
I will say Bill Schroeder, our television analyst, has a pretty good Barry Melrose going right now. It's not as tight on the sides, but I will say it's it's pretty Joey Weimer-esque on the back. So he's already he's already got the party going. The the vibes in that clubhouse. What do you feel when you go in there? Because you know, seeing this club from afar, and especially recently with Joey Weimer starting to play well. Uh, you know, it seems like a fun-loving group. I know that's, you know, a, a lot of clubs are like that nowadays. But w- what's the vibe like when you go down to the clubhouse with the Brewers? Yeah, winning winning really helps a lot. There's no doubt. When uh, when your club is, is successful, that helps for a, a very good winning mentality and a, and a good, happy-go-lucky type of situation in the clubhouse. Uh, it, it has been a little tricky here with some of the group that we have had just with the injuries and guys coming up and down from the minor leagues. The 40-man roster has been used and abused over the last couple of months, but uh, and I don't anticipate that changing anytime soon. Some guys are starting to get healthy, which is a good thing. But the vibe has always been good, and I would say that that's one of the, the calling cards for Craig Council, and he's been the longest senior manager in the National League, is that he has always done such a great job of whoever is in that clubhouse making sure that they feel comfortable, that they can perform to their best abilities, um, and, and they can just be who they are. I think that's the one thing that, that he does a great job of, not just managing games, which he's been spectacular, um, but just allowing players to be who they are uh, so they can be successful. Do you think that's his, his greatest strength? I mean, I think he, he's the longest tenured manager in, in Brewers history now, right? I mean, he's obviously had a lot of success the playoffs five straight years. Is that his greatest strength, just his ability to manage the, the personalities in the clubhouse? Yeah, I think so, and I think that's a huge part of any manager, whether it's in a baseball realm or human resources or an insurance firm or whatever. I mean, you have to manage personalities. You have to manage people, um, and that's one of the biggest things that Craig does. He does a great job because he's seen it from both sides. He's been a player. He's been a manager now. He's been in the front office. He knows what it takes. Um, to be successful. He's won two World Series championships. I mean, he knows what to do in these situations. Um, I do think that that is a, a huge asset that he has, and it's, it is one of the reasons why the Brewers have been successful. They've made very good moves. They've played very well. They've had great pitching. They've, they've done a great job of acquiring these guys and keeping them and drafting young talents and having them pay off. But you have to have a cohesive unit at the top to, to make sure that all those things vibe the way they're supposed to vibe. You know, obviously, it was a disappointing end to, to last season, uh, you know, coming up just short of, uh, of the National League wild card. But uh, several moves in the offseason, some of them have paid off, some of them haven't. In your opinion, you know, Jeff, what has been kind of the most impactful move or maybe non-move that, that the front office has made coming into this year? Uh, I think a couple of big ones, certainly bringing in William Contreras from the Braves as part of the, the three-team deal. Of course, Ruiz is having a great season for the A's, uh, 29 stolen bases to lead everybody. But um, bringing in William Contreras and, and really shoring up the catching department has been a, a big key. I think Brian Anderson, having him come back from Miami, having him be healthy, his ability to play multiple positions has certainly helped this roster. Uh, those are just a couple of them. When Wade Miley was healthy and part of this rotation, uh, he was a huge glue guy. He wants to come back. He's probably going to be back sooner than anticipated. They said six to eight weeks. He's probably going to be back in about a month after his shoulder injury. But he was a big piece to get back into this clubhouse, too, just to have that veteran leadership and to, to show the staff to go along with Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, who's, again, who's injured at the moment. But to have Wade Miley be that kind of glue guy in the rotation certainly has helped, too. We're visiting with uh, Jeff Levering, Brewers broadcaster, TV and radio, right, Jeff? You kind of make the move back and forth. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's been like that for the last couple of years. Kind of eased my way onto the the television side, and, and um, you know we've been I've been lucky enough to to be able to fill in when BA is not available when he goes and does the national stuff for Turner and he does the NBA playoffs and you know, March Madness and all the other great stuff that he's a part of. So I'm I'm just lucky to ride his coattails and and then um, I'm I mean even more lucky when I'm on on the radio side of work with you at home and then Lane and Josh on the road. We've got a great group of guys that uh, that make up our broadcast team. So it ends up being about 100, 105 on TV and then the rest on the radio. And, you know, we, we get along. We have great family dinners on the road, as you know, and you're a part of. And uh, we've got a great group here in Milwaukee. Jeff, getting back to, you know, you alluded to, to all the injuries. The rotation, I know, has been ravaged. And, I mean, credit to the front office and the entire club for going out and getting guys like Julio Tehran, uh, you know, you mentioned Wade Miley at the beginning of the season, but really holding this thing, Colin Ray has has uh, stepped in nicely. But you know, of all of all the the guys that have gone down, you you know, the Ariases, the Mitchells, the Woodruffs, you mentioned uh, Adamas is back now. I know a- Ashby uh, being on the injured list. How has the depth of this organization uh, been tested, and how has it kind of held firm, for lack of a better term? Yeah, I mean, these are a lot of guys that we saw in spring training games going out to Mesa and playing against the A's, right? I mean, it feels yeah. like some of these are some of these are spring training games with the lineups that the Brewers have been running out there. But it is a credit to the front office for bringing in all these guys that they've needed to bring in. You have to have depth, especially in the pitching side of things, uh, to get through a major league season. I mean, I I couldn't tell you the last time a major league team got through the season with five guys in the rotation, and that's it. You might have to go back to the early 2010s when the Giants were running through. And even then, you'd, you'd find some sort of a start from like a um, uh, like Hennessy, right? Hennessy would come in and make a start randomly. But you need to have depth with your starters. You need to have depth in your bullpen. Uh, finding you need to have a lot more depth in your position player group, too. But um, I'd say the front office did a really nice job, and they're utilizing this 40-man roster as well as anybody has in Major League Baseball this season. Yeah, I think it, I, I saw this correctly, right? At one point, uh, the Brewers of their 40-man roster with position players, either of all those position players, everyone was either on the injured list or on the active roster. Did I see that right? That's yeah, unbelievable. That is, uh, that is current. That is a That's current, current stat. Okay. Yes, yeah. everybody, every position player on the 40-man roster is either in the big leagues or on the I.L. Yes, I'm, that is true. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. There's no doubt. And the fact that this team is still in first place, a game up on the Pirates, is unreal. What has uh, what what did this what was this club missing when Willie Adamas was out? And what what does he? What do you think that the thing that he, uh, the aspect of, of the club or, or of his game impacts this club the most when he now that he's back? Yeah, I mean it's great production. He's in there every day. He's a great shortstop. Uh, but but you miss his intangibles. You miss what he brings energy wise to the clubhouse every day. You miss um, how he lifts the teammates around him and how they are able to lift their play because he's just sitting next to them. Uh, It's anything. It's something I've never seen before. Um, The way that he is able to get the most out of his teammates, just simply by being there, by smiling, by getting somebody involved in a conversation they might not otherwise be involved in. I think that that's what they missed over those 10 games or almost two weeks that he was out um, just the intangible stuff of him just not being around every day. It just, it feels weird. It really does. Joey Weimer being having this much of an impact, especially lately. Is that something, I mean, you certainly can't expect a rookie to, 
you know, come on and have a, a huge impact right away. I know he was a top prospect, but has he been even more impactful than many people thought? Well, certainly he's he's had to be impactful because Garrett Mitchell went down. They expected Joey Weimer to play a lot of right field at the beginning mm-hmm. of the season. Remember, he didn't even make the opening day roster. And then right. Luis Arias got hurt and Weimer comes up and, you know, Brian Anderson plays some third, he plays some right. And then Garrett Mitchell goes down and Joey Weimer's been the everyday center fielder essentially every day since then, with the exception of maybe one game. Um, so he has to learn on the fly, and he has. He had a tough couple of months there. Had got out of the gates really strong, and then as Major League Baseball does, they adjust. Uh, but over the last couple of weeks, he's been as hot as anybody in the game. He's got a nine-game hitting streak right now. He's starting to actually square some some breaking balls up, and if you make a mistake, he's going to hit it a country mile, and that Kentucky waterfall is going to be flowing. The Kentucky, I love it, man. It is so good. It is so good. Hey, you got an up-close look at Estier Ruiz, obviously, for a short time here last year. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say his speed, right? But did you did you see him having this type of start to his major league career, getting the chance to play every single day? So he wasn't up with us too much, and I would have liked to have seen him play a little bit more, but the Brewers were trying to fight for a playoff spot, and it wasn't one yeah. of those situations where it was like, okay, well, we can run him out here because they got nothing to play for. Uh, but he had game-changing speed. You could tell that on a routine ground ball short that he made it exciting. Uh, I think that he's – I know the numbers aren't pretty, what he's done in center field this year, but I feel like he's a better center fielder than people give him credit for just because of the speed, just because of the jumps that he's going to get. Uh, but if he gets on the base pads, man, it's – and folks in Oakland have seen it many, many times with Ricky Henderson. I'm not comparing the two, but the speed is very similar to what – Oakland A's fans got used to seeing with Henderson. Man. He he can fly. You're not the only one to use those two guys in the same sentence. Trust me, it's been it's been done plenty. <laughs> well, let's end on this. You talked about the NL, uh, the National League Central. The Pirates have obviously been been a good story. The Cardinals have really struggled. In your mind, you know the the, the division runs through who, and if it is the Brewers, uh, who is the who is the main competition? Who you know are you kind of looking in your rear view, rear view mirror at, so to speak? Oh, the Pirates have certainly played above their heads, uh, and, and I, th- I really like their pitching. Their starting pitching has been very good. Um, so if they can maintain, then I think they'll be all right. Uh, I think the Cincinnati club that the Brewers just took three out of four from, now that they've got Ellie De La Cruz, I, I think that they, they have the makings of being something really special for a long time coming. They've got a great farm system. Uh, if they could just get Graham Ashcraft going a little bit, get Nick Lodolo healthy, uh, to pair with with Green, I mean that that is a group that is going to be good in the Central for a long time. I don't understand what's going on with the Cardinals. The Brewers won't see St. Louis again until the end of September, which is amazing to me. Um, but I, I would say Cincinnati and Pittsburgh are the two teams that, that the Brewers are really worried about. They've got plenty coming up. The Brewers haven't even seen Pittsburgh yet. They won't see them until the following weekend when we get back from the road trip. So they're going to play them a ton here coming up uh, pretty soon. Um, so those should be some pretty good matchups. Yeah, you're a Sacramento guy, right? Oh, yeah. Born and raised. Did, Folks are still there. Did, did you enjoy following the Kings? Or did you grow up a Kings fan? Uh, I did grow up a Kings fan. So I, I went to a lot of Kings games before they even moved into Arco. I was more like the Jim Les, Wayman Tisdale, Pete Chilcutt. Like those were those were my teams, the Mitch Richmond and, and Walt Williams, the Wizard. Uh, I, I like those teams, of course, the, the Weber and Bibby and Jason sure. Williams guys, Scott Pollard, um, Tito Turkoglu, um, you know, you're going I, was, deep, man. You I are know, going right? deep. I've got roster reference in front of me. That's why I know. <laughs> um, 
No, it was fun watching them. I, I was I was upset they couldn't finish it off against the Warriors. They had it there, and then they just could not make a shot late. But listen, it's it's great to see the city of Sacramento get excited about the Kings again because it's it's been way too long. No question. I, what, what, one more for you. What, what's it been like working with Bob Uecker? Unbelievable. I mean, it's you, you can't even put it into words. To be honest with you, it's it's uh, very surreal each and every day. And I'm in year number nine here in Milwaukee, and. Um, Every day I get the opportunity to work with him is is just another just like shot to my system. Like, how did I get here? Right. That's that's at the end of the day. Every time I get to work with him and when he tosses to me for the third inning or here are the starting lineups. Here's Jeff. It's like, come on, man, that that shouldn't happen. <laughs> that That's I'm just extremely lucky um, yeah. and very thankful for the opportunities I've been given. Jeff Levering, appreciate your time, man. It was great catching up with you, and uh, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person here in, uh, in just a few minutes, I guess. You got it. I'll just pop down the hall. So that was Jeff Levering, the one of the broadcasters of Milwaukee Brewers. And speaking of broadcasters, real quick, I'm throwing this out there because I was gone when it happened. I want to throw out a huge congratulations to Dan Rusinowski, who's going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, that's a huge honor. I'm happy for Ruzi. I'm sure all A's fans and Sharks fans are happy for him. I wanted to get that in, but Alex – First time we've worked together on this show since, well, like 2019. And uh, I know it was only an hour, but we, I thought we did a great job. Hopefully we can do it again more going forward, you know, when Townley takes some time off because the guy works literally every day. So it's nice for him to get a nice vacation. He'll be back next week. But it was a good chance for you and I to, to reconnect before you come down and live in my apartment for a week while the ports are in town. It's been it's been a great time, Commander. Townie is a machine, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to pinch hit for him and uh, and for Ken on uh, on some of these road trips so um thank you for inviting me to to do this by the way this is a lot of fun I, I hope we get to do it again soon i do too uh coming up next we're going to play the newest edition of a's unfiltered with ryan noda and jj Bleday. but up in about 20 about 30 minutes alex will have ace total access brought to you by chevron and then a's and brewers will be right underway at 5 10 pacific 7 10 central where alex is jess and i will actually have post game on sunday a little for self-promoting, little self-deprecating, you know, all that. I'm throwing out the accolades for myself. But, yeah, Alex coming up next with A's Total Access in 30 minutes. Enjoy Ryan Noda and JJ Bleday on the newest episode of A's Unfiltered, and we'll be back on Monday at 4 o'clock for A's Cast Live. Have a great weekend, everyone. See ya. With more sunshine returning, it's time to get outside and make the most of what Cinnabar Hills Golf Club has to offer. Like 27 championship caliber holes tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose. And take advantage of their amazing Bay Area views for your next special event. It's all for you at Cinnabar Hills Golf Club, an award-winning venue designed to peacefully take you away from the bustle of Silicon Valley. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. This is Chris Towns, and there are two things that are a must for me, comfort and style. Whether I'm playing golf, going to dinner, I've got to have the right feel. That's why I've partnered with Link Soul, and you're going to love Link Soul. They have just released their new spring line, new fabrics for their polos, lightweight and perfect for technical performance. Link Soul also has new styles for their layers and hoodies with cool prints and seasonal colors. You know what they say in the big leagues, look good, play good. Go to linksoul.com. That's linksoul.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.